Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Let me share with you this morning. We'll probably get to the teaching next week. We will, sometime. Here's sort of the, uh, I I say the curse. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. It's not a curse. Uh, I, I don't treat this like a cathedral. I don't ever treat when I speak like a cathedral. And what I mean by that is this sort of gathering of some mechanical orthodoxical expression of worship. Um, neither do I think we need to come in in some uh, overly familiar sense of that removes any type of majesty. But see, do we realize, and this is the thing that catches me, the thing that I'm torn between, that the God we serve is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who rules over all, and who will have the final word at the end of it all. That's this incredible, holy God. See, one of the two key phrases that God uses to describe himself, uh, holy and then love. So he's holy, but he's a God of love, which makes him approachable now. That was a totally unfamiliar conceptualization in the Old Testament language, but when we come to the New, God put on flesh and came and walked among us. He reached out to us. Do you understand that in Genesis 3, when... When mankind crashed and burned, the first words of conflict resolution were this, where are you? Can I say to every marriage here especially, that the first words of conflict resolution, when you've had a situation, an action, a word that wants to come in between you, and it will, because that's what conflict does, it's going to take the courage of one or the other that's going to reach across and reach out, even if you're the violator, and say, where are you? God did that. And, and it wasn't enough. Mankind didn't respond there. So thousands of years later, the God took on flesh and came and dwelled among us. And he didn't change his mind. Because the book of Luke says, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost was intimate expression. He never changed his mind. He wanted to just walk with us. Key of G. Um, the, uh, I, I quoted these words last week, and it's just so important because it, it's the center part. I don't know if you even remember this to know it very old. It'll start on the six, I think. In the garden, love's purpose began. With a lifeless clay held in your hands. What did you see? What made you breathe? That your spirit became a living man. Think about that. To just walk in the cool of the day. You just wanted to talk face to face. The reason you made me, the price spent to save me, leaves only one thing to say. And the chorus says, Lord, I must worship you. And I'll come to that in a minute. But the second was, on the cross, you reached out to fallen man. There to finish what your love began. Ask the same question. What did you see? To die on that tree. Just so that I could live again. And now, 
And now you walk with me each time I pray. Wrong words. You walk with me each time I pray. The reason you made me, the price spent to save me, leaves only one thing to say. See, I don't picture this as a cathedral, but I picture this as not my living room, but God's. Because he said in the New Testament, now, mercy has been put back in place. I want you to come boldly to the throne. I want you to picture that, that we come in and worshiping the awe, and we make entry in that incredible, overwhelming reality of the God who was and is and is to come. And, and, and we're standing on, and then all of a sudden this incredible king, uh, we look into his face, and all of a sudden we see he's our father, and he's saying, have a seat. And so it turns to Lord, I must worship you. For I was created to no other reason. To offer up all my life. I wrote this at 6 a.m. in a morning prayer says. Living holy sacrifice. In you I live and move, have my being, your every breath that I breathe, Lord, I must worship you, Lord, I must worship you, that's the only I worship you. Hmm. Woo! Just, so it's that, that's the awkwardness of this. Every week, it's the sense of God who is majestically enthroned, and that throne represents authority. That's why when John saw it in the book of Revelation, he was trapped in circumstances, just didn't believe that the destination God had for him could ever be completed, but he would make his way off of that little island where he was held captive. He would write books in the Bible that we read today, inspired of the Holy Spirit. God got him to his destination. But when you think your life is out of, of order and crazy and chaos, I believe we have those moments in the Spirit, as did John when, John, when God says, look through the door. And the first thing he saw, you can read Revelation 4, a throne. And he separates the language. A throne and one on it. How many are glad the throne's not empty today? Come on. Okay, good enough. <clears throat> so here's the thing. This week, I've been praying for married couples. It doesn't have anything to do with the teaching. Like I said, we'll get to that next week. But it's part of the problem when you hang out in the Word, and I know a lot of you do, <clears throat> but not everybody here is the talking guy that gets to walk out. And so I, I spend the time wrestling around wanting to get clarity on just trying to zoom in on what God wants. And that's why when we do series here, series that largely we sit and discuss and they're, they're, they're birthed in my heart. So, you know, it's like, okay, I'm interrupting the very thing I set in order. We're not in a series right now because it's some, uh, for some other reasons that are very important, this whole focus on encounter. 
more and more I just want to come here and find out what God's doing every week. See, because there's people sitting here who are hurting and broken and like Brenda talked about, meeting with someone in the hospital. These are realities. These are realities. But here's, here's something that hit me this week where I went, oh, never seen before. I don't want to, I know I'm supposed to pray for marriages today. So that's probably what we're going to do and how we're going to say amen. And then we're going to get to Mark chapter 4. Everybody still reading Mark 4? We're going to get there. Keep reading it. It won't hurt you. you this, listen, come on, look at me. This, this is a vitamin you can't take too much of. Just overdose on it, okay? So stay in Mark 4. We're going to get there and we're going to get to it. Why it's important, you see, because the Holy Spirit only breathes on the Word of God that we've received. The Holy Spirit only breathes on the Word of God that we've received. And Mark 4 sets that up for the other places in the New Testament. We'll get there. But I'm going to do the thing that all week long, at least since Tuesday, has just bugged me again and again. Amanda, you don't have any of these verses of Scripture. But um, the closing verse of Genesis chapter 2, I think, is verse 25. And in verse 25, it's after man, God, has created woman. And uh, it's Ish Adam, that's the man, and Isha. Adam. And her name didn't become Eve until after the fall. We study that in marriage retreats. It wasn't the name that God gave her. Eve was the name that Adam gave her. And that was after the fall and after the curse. That's important because in the verses just before verse 25 and 4, when God created Isha, you go look this up. I know you fact check it. Uh, he had created the animals and had Ish Adam, the man, Adam, he man is literally what it means, he man and she man, had him name all the animals. And he said, brought him by whatever he called him, he named him. And after he was done, watch the conclusion. He didn't say, wow, we've created a wonderful cyclopedic reference of all of the, uh, the strata of creatures here. God didn't say that. The next statement was, and he saw that there was nothing for him. That was the whole thing. Nothing in creation. And God said, now let me create. And he creates. And he creates Isha and brings her to him and says, she will be called Isha. Isha Adam. First thing that happens after the fall, instead of shared dominion that happens in Genesis chapter 1, uh, they begin to try and figure out who was going to rule whom. And that is the state of marital existence all too often. We're in this subconscious battle trying to figure out who is going to rule whom. Can I tell you, just take this phrase for granted. I love going through the New Testament passages, but we, we like grabbing little verses like from Ephesians and talking about submission. Please hear me. Wherever submission is mentioned, redemption is the target, not rulership. We think, we read submission to find out who's going to be the boss and who's going to be the bossy. Where submission is referenced in scripture, the focus of it is redemption. In other words, where she submits to me, for those of you that will be listening by audio, I'm pointing at my wife, where she submits to me or I submit to her because it's mutual. The point at that moment is who's going to take the step of acting redemptively. I want, my call is to redeem what God, to join partner, I want to be clear, to, I'm not her redeemer. She's not my redeemer. Jesus is my redeemer. But that's what Ephesians 5 ties us into. It's my call to partner with God and live redemptively towards her and get up every day. My thing is not to say, uh, Brenda, 
I'm here to rule you, so I've worked out your schedule for you today. I don't know why you're laughing. I'm sure she would submit to that immediately if I did. Perhaps not, but I can, I can think that if I want. She does get up every morning. I've told you guys this many times. Every morning she gets up, and if she should happen to get up before me, she comes around to my side of the bed. We'll have a cup of coffee made just while I drink it in my hand. And she, she won't just hand it to me. She'll kneel on the floor by the bed. And sort of like Sarah and Abraham. And she'll say, Great Lord Tom. Once again, after 40 years, and yet the many thousandth day that I've had the joy and honor to be allowed to be your bride, I am humbled on yet one more day at the thought of being able to be married to you and to respond to your next command. Every day she does that. That you'll have a great marriage. She's, a lot of you are laughing and you don't believe that. I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm sure at any moment the, the alarm clock is going to go off and I'm going to wake up from this dream, right? Okay. <clears throat> That's not what you do. Closing verse of Genesis chapter 2. This really got me. You know what the last word is? Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Have you gotten that? Have you run that down for me, Amanda? There you go. Of course you have. Uh, and there it is, okay? You see it? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, the, the word naked there means laid totally bare. And, of course, it meant naked in the simplest of senses. Um, but, the, uh, but the intimation and implication of it is laid totally bare. There's certainly nothing more exposing and more sensitive uh, than, than that. And it carries all the full psychosocial and intimacy and relational aspects of it. But the point, you see the last word? And we're not, see it? Somebody say what that last word is. Here's the thing. God created, the close of chapter 2 is this wonderful, perfect worship environment. And the closing word of Genesis chapter 2 is shameless. Unashamed. Shameless. Shameless. Last year, uh, about this time, we did a series entitled uh, Shame. On shame. Simply put. And we extrapolated from both the writings of Brene Brown, who didn't write a Christian book, but I would encourage everybody here to read the book Daring Greatly. It's full of biblical principles. She does not write a Christian book, but you will see it if you know the word at all. You're going to see the biblical principles. Daring Greatly. It's the only book I've read four times in a row, back to back. Only book. And, uh, but the definition is reject, uh, uh, shame is the feeling of not enough. And so you test that. And why did God create that environment? And how did he want to preserve it? He intended for marriage to be that place of consummate safety where I will look at her and she will look at me and say, right here, you're safe. Right here, in this relationship, it is my pledge and hope to commit to you that I will never send the message to you that you're not enough. That you're not anything enough. Smart enough, pretty enough, tall enough, thin enough, whatever enough. We will never, see, because that, the closing verses of chapter 2, watch. And they were naked and shameless. Totally laid bare. The next words, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent. Uh-oh. Why did God create that? I'd never seen this before this week, and I'm going, oh. He created marriage to be the ultimate place of safety and insulation in a covenant relationship that had the power to insulate from the voices of not enough that would be out there. 
and the serpent slithers in. And he says, look, I know you two guys are the only two guys on the planet, but you need to know that what God said, he really didn't mean. Or he says this, is it true? Well, God knows that in the day you eat, he's depriving you from something. He's hiding you from something. Why? Why would God do that? I'm, there must be something wrong with you know, talk to children of divorce. Talk to every spouse. And see, there, if statistics prevail here, there's a significant number of people of here who have walked through divorce. At some point, somebody felt like, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And through this week, I've already prayed for you. I didn't know what, who married couples would be here and how to pray for them. But it really hit me. And of course, then Genesis 3 continues on where God reaches out and tries to repair it and they didn't respond to it. So they end up what? They hide, they clothe themselves. So they hide from each other and they hide from God. And not long ago, I developed the the difference in the language. They covered themselves in fig leaves. They hid from God. So the the message is, come here, precious. Now, I'm about to point at Brenda. And I'm going to point towards God. So the message in the garden was, I can't let you see, and I can't let you near. You got that? That's what happens when shame and rejection hits. I can't let you see fig leaves, and I can't let you near, so we hide. We only partially hide from each other, because we're right here. But here's the thing that I wanted to do today. And, and I... It's no matter of fitting, you know, it appeared at the outset of the service that God had different things in mind. So if you would stay, don't go far, because I want us to pray for um, married couples. Um, the, I want to do that right now, and here's what I want to do. I want to have you, you can get up out of your seat, and, and I want you to come down. I think this is where we're going to close the service today. It's just a God moment here, and, uh, and it, was, it seemed to be sort of disjointed to that end. So, so here's what we're going to do. And for those of you who are watching online, if you, your spouse is anywhere near you, please join in with us, okay? But um, if your the spouse is here um, with you, uh, please get up out of your seat and come on down, okay? Just do that right now. It's okay. You say, well, that's awkward enough. That's exposing. I get that. It is. Just come on down. Don't stay out in the aisles. aisles. Just keep pressing in and around, letting everybody come in. Let's go up on the platform so everybody can, we can, they can see what we're about to do. Now, to all of you in the room and to those who are in front, um, you might need a microphone. So, um, Jim, can you bring her a mic? Um, I want to say to you and everyone sitting here, come on, press on in. Don't stay out in the aisles. Just push in and squash in here. This is good. This is wonderful. Um, Guys, I know I missed Valentine's Day. I think we're actually gone that weekend. But there is not a door that she opens for herself if I'm with her. There is not a chair that she pulls out for herself if I'm with her. She will never put on her coat herself if I'm with her. And he say, oh, you're such a gentleman. I'm not telling you that for that reason. See, the ladies are going, wow. The ladies are standing here by their husband right now. I'm not saying that to either make your husband feel less, guys, or to make you think that he's such a gentleman. It's not about being a gentleman. We may differ in our opinions of how we ended up together. But once I chose her and extended covenant, she has a different biblical belief about it and she's wrong, but she'll get over it. 
I believe when choice on my part was activated and on her part, she became the one. God made Eve for Adam and Adam for Eve. That covenant says you are now the one under covenant before God. And did you know that supersedes the parent-child relationship on both levels? I, I, I have a slide here. These are two people, us. My parents who are above us. My children who are below us. Watch. Parent, child. Excuse me. Uh, child, parent, child, parent. Everybody got what I just did? Those are the two things primarily that will get in the middle of your marriage to start with. And you have to isolate this covenant and say, no words will be stronger than yours. And I will not allow, when we began, it was like, I'm not going to run and tell mom and dad. So the parent-child, it says that you shall leave your mother and cleave and father and the two shall cleave and they become one. Okay. But guess what happens? A new parent-child relationship happens when you have kids. And that's the next one to get into these. Those little squabblers down right there, right there. They'll get right in between. Well, mom said, well, dad said, the thing we taught our kids early on is when she would say, well, go ask your dad. No, it doesn't make any difference. He'll say the same thing you did. And they were right. Okay? They got that. So, enough said. Here's, here's what I, I want you to do for each other. I want you to forget people in the room. This may be for only one couple. Did you know that? God does things for people on the fringe of the crowd. And there may be people sitting here today that your spouse isn't with you. So, when you go home, do this. Okay? But we're going to end right here. So, can everybody stand up? And those of you who are around here like this, you can send a hand of blessing and covenant towards them. So, you're going to repeat after each other. I'm going to sort of make this up. Uh, so... But here we go. I want you to look at them. Forget everybody else. Just look them right in the face. And I want you to repeat these words. Listen. Here we go. Listen. So let, let me tell you just something right now. For some of you in the room right now, you had to giggle to disarm this. And I get that because you're in front of a bunch of people. So that's awkward. Well, let, let me tell you. Right there, those eyes, after the gaze of God, that's the one I want. That's the one I want. Okay, so I want you to look, and, and guys, you're going to go first, and then, then we're going we're gonna to flip that, okay? But I want you to repeat after me. Sweetheart, I want you to know that it is my prayer today, on March 1st, that our covenant, our marriage, our love, become the safest place for you you've ever known. I want it to be your safe place. And I pledge to you, there will never be a moment when I would make you feel that you are not enough. I want this to be shameless. You will never be not enough in my eyes. Okay? Now, Reach across and give him a kiss. You can do that right now. Now. Okay, we're going to do it on the other side. Okay, here we go. Ladies, you ready? Sweetheart, I love you. And I'm so glad to hear you say those words. We're done now. Deal. Okay, no. No, 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 we're not. Okay, we're done. <laughs> See, that's what you're thinking. Like, this is good right now. We can just stop right there, okay? The, uh, that's good, okay? <laughs> okay, say, no, okay, here we go. Look him in the face and say, thank you for those words. You will never know how they touched my heart. And I commit to you 
and pledge to you my love and my life, and that our covenant, our marriage, will be a safe place for you. There is nothing you will expose to me that will cause me to recoil. It will be a shameless place. It will be a safe place. You will always, always, always be enough. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Good. Yes. We, Brenda says, do we get to kiss again? Yes. Okay. Now, welcome to God's living room, not Tom's. I feel, I feel like, like I can look at God and say, okay, I, I did everything here I, I thought I was supposed to do. It may not fit together, but that's up to him to breathe on it and make it flow into some synchronous thing. We have followed the Lord, okay? And I believe that. Uh, Lord, I love you and I praise you. I worship you. I magnify your name. I lift you high. Grace these homes, these lives, these families, uh, the things we put our hands to, businesses, occasions. As This week as we go out and, and hand out, Father, in these next several weeks before Easter, the serve cards. The serve cards, Father. May lives be touched and changed. I love you. I praise you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Pause. Okay, pause. I'm pausing. I just told God. I got some last Monday night in our Monday night prayer. I'm praying for an emphasis because we're coming to the communion table every Monday night and I'm praying for God to just give us an emphasis right there. And last week we started in first Corinthians 11 and it says in verse 23 as the apostle Paul would give his rendition of coming to the table of the Lord. And it says this, I received from the Lord that the night in which he was betrayed. And it was like, Oh, and so last Monday night at prayer, we said, Father, as we pray toward the cross for Easter, for every church, may Easter be a day when people will come into the house of the Lord, sense the power and presence of the Spirit of the Lord, and where they have been betrayed, where they have been stabbed, hurt, deceived, taken advantage of, abused, abandoned, done wrong, and they carry the weight of that betrayal as we celebrate what this table represents, that is the body and the blood of Christ. On Easter, that day, that weekend, Father, we'll celebrate where you died on the cross, where you rose again. May the power of the blood and the cross overcome the pain of that betrayal. May it shatter the wall that stands between you and them and them and others in the name of Jesus. That betrayal that made them feel ashamed, broken, hurt, and not enough. On Easter morning, may the churches in this community be pierced through by the power of God that can break the damage and stronghold of betrayal. Lord, I love those words as I read them. That you gave the greatest gift for the deepest betrayal. You served the one who would betray you. May that power and that portion be ours on Easter. Everyone say right now, in the name of the Father, lift your hand. In the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit, so be it. Amen. Let's clap our hands and shout unto God. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.